From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Our group is responsible for component development of liquid rocket engines. So that entire life cycle from the conceptual design through the manufacturing, uh, and then ultimately the hot fire testing, which is really the exciting part. And I think why a lot of us uh, got into the business. That was Paul Gradle. Paul is a senior propulsion engineer in the combustion devices, design and development branch at the NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. He leads the manufacturing, design, development, and testing of nozzles and nozzle extensions. For over a decade, he has supported a variety of nozzle development and flight programs and has been involved in technology development, supporting the manufacturing and measurement techniques for nozzles. Paul joins the show today to discuss his work to develop additive manufacturing for combustion devices for rockets. He also shares some sweet videos that you can check out in the About section of the podcast or on our website, www.3degreescompany.com. Thanks for joining the show today, Paul. For kind of getting started with the conversation, you're a senior propulsion engineer at NASA. Can you tell kind of the audience or the layperson, like, what does that mean? It sounds awesome. Uh, I want to learn more. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I uh, appreciate you having me on and, and look forward to a fun discussion uh, on this. So the role that I work at uh, NASA Marshall Space Flight Center our group is responsible for component development of liquid rocket engines. So that entire life cycle from the conceptual design through the manufacturing uh, and then ultimately the hot fire testing, which is really the exciting part. And I think why a lot of us uh, got into the business. Um, so as part of that, we're responsible for leading a lot of uh, multidisciplinary teams, uh, which can be uh, thermal, structural, fluids, uh, mechanical design uh, and the manufacturing side of it, working with a lot of the uh, test area uh, engineers and technicians for setting up our test programs. So we really get to see that entire life cycle of the component development. We also work a lot of flight programs as well. So uh, we do work with a lot of commercial space companies, um, a lot of academia uh, research that we do. So we get really that broad spectrum across the entire uh, industry, engaging with a, a lot of different folks in the industry. And so NASA is a huge organization. And, and so how does kind of what you guys do at Marshall sync up with some of the other kind of locations around the country? Sure. So Marshall, one of our primary responsibilities is the propulsion uh, side, and we're also engaged in the vehicle side. Uh, so for the SLS uh, launch system, space launch system, uh, Marshall works the uh, core stage engines, the RS-25 engines. We also work the boosters on that, and we're also involved in the tank and a lot of the uh, integration and the program uh, side of that, where a lot of our sister centers are engaged in uh, the crew capsules for the astronauts and different uh, avionics and different aspects uh, of that. So we, we work closely with all the different centers, including a lot of the research centers and um, you know, JPL and Ames and Langley and have a lot of different projects uh, outside of even some of the commercial space flight where we do a lot of technology development and each of the centers have different core capabilities, um, you know, a lot of different expertise at the, at the center. So it, it's fun to be able to work across these 
multidisciplinary integrated uh, teams across the organization. And part of that uh, kind of exploration innovation is additive manufacturing. So maybe just start at kind of the 30,000 foot views, like what's kind of the main use or kind of where did the use of additive manufacturing get started with some of the work that you guys are doing there? Sure. Uh, yeah, certainly it's, it's uh, an exciting field as, as your whole podcast um, is involved with. Um, we started additive manufacturing with propulsion in about 2010. Um, prior to that, we had worked with a lot of 3D printing, uh, I guess is really what we were calling it at the time, and, and plastics uh, in terms of prototypes and um, tooling, stuff like that. And we were engaged with some of the first metal additive manufacturing on the electron beam powder bed fusion in the early 2000s um, at Marshall. And I remember uh, I still have some of those initial parts. Uh, they weren't the prettiest looking parts and had a lot of porosity um, in them. But I think we, we saw the vision for it, but the technology just wasn't quite there yet. And then uh, as laser powder bed fusion started to come online uh, and around that 2010 time frame, there was a few vendors that were out there as we started to see uh, where this was going and, and really the opportunity to infuse it into some of our work. And some of my colleagues at Marshall uh, were involved in a test program under the J2X upper stage engine. This is part of our Aries program. And they did a... Uh, additively manufactured of an Inconel duct. It was 180 degree uh, bent duct. So it looked like a very simple part, but the tooling and the traditional fabrication of it um, was very complex, it was very long lead time. So they started with uh, the development of that and went through all the mechanical properties and inspection of that. And then ultimately we got to hot fire test that uh, at Marshall. So it was, it, again, it was pretty exciting to see that um, exposed to some of the environments and in, in some of our rocket engine components. And I think after that, that convinced us to, okay, let's take the next step with this. It's a simple duct, but we saw a substantial cost savings and schedule savings on that alone. So the next steps were Marshall had purchased some machines so we could do our own internal development. We started looking at other components. And the area that I'm specifically involved in um, in, in the group that I work in. So I said, we're, we're functional components and specifically uh, combustion devices and turbo machinery. And I work on the combustion devices side, which is injectors, uh, chambers, nozzles, ignition systems. Um, and those are very complex components, traditionally manufactured, have a lot of piece parts, a lot of joining different materials. Uh, and that, and of course, very harsh environments in which they operate. And specifically the components that I've been more interested in have been the combustion chambers and nozzles where you have these series of integral channels uh, that we have to actively cool the walls. And you know, after seeing some of that early additive manufacturing of the duct, we saw the potential of with these very complex components with all these internal features here's an opportunity for additive manufacturing to go make these, these components and simplify uh, that, that overall fabrication uh, cycle. So I think the vision has always been there, but again, the, the technology, the supply chain, the materials, a lot of that has had to catch up 
Uh, and that's what we're trying to do uh, now. We have a lot of development activities to, to bring us you know, to where we are today. And I imagine too, given how long that you've been in at that process, you have these different factors of you want, there's probably design elements that you want to change geometries and to to improve performance. But then you also have these new processes, new forms of material, maybe they're the same base material, but you're putting it together in a different way and then different post-processing and just process control. Can you talk a little bit about kind of, that's a big elephant to try and eat as you, you go and try and make new parts, especially for very sophisticated processes and rockets and propulsion that you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about how that process has evolved over the years that you've been doing additive at Marshall? Right. So I, I think, you know, additive manufacturing has definitely gained in popularity, uh, which is great because you see a lot of these new companies out there um, that are doing it. Uh, and a lot more uh, on the supply chain side as well, from the powder through the service companies to the post-processing. But we're all learning uh, as an industry on that. And from our perspective, it's another manufacturing technology, and we need to proceed with caution. Um, Even though it's exciting and you want to jump in and and start designing and testing parts and, and implement them in flight, Um, our first responsibility and and duty is to make sure that we're doing it safely uh, for our crews and their families and, you know, all the people involved in that. So NASA is heavily involved in certification and coming up with that framework for how do we, how do we do this safely? How do we understand the process sensitivities? What are the different tests that we have to go do? How do we certify a machine? How do we certify an operator? Um, you know, certifying the, the powder uh, side of that and then all the traceability of that. So having that rigor is, is probably the, the first fundamental step uh, in this. And again, we've learned over time uh, with that. Um, one of the challenges with it is, is we can go uh, lay out a certification program for, let's say, laser powder bed fusion but then you change a material or you change a process and now you need to start over. Um, with that, because it's going to be different for every process and every material. Now, the framework should be similar uh, with that. But again, um, we want to have that that detailed rigor on this and make sure we do it safely. When you mentioned the, the supply chain side of it, too, like the post-process and everything, that is something that I think a lot of people uh, tend to omit or don't put enough time into. Um, you know, the, the, the culture and the paradigm of design and manufacturing has has changed a little bit with additive manufacturing is previously you would design a part, you take it over to your manufacturing engineer, your machinist and say, Hey, can you, can you make this? Uh, And they give you feedback on it. And you may go through some redesigns uh, with that to make sure that it was manufacturable. Now, some of that still exists with additive manufacturing, but your design engineer is almost your manufacturing engineer right now is I make this CAD model, I supply it to my vendor or to my additive manufacturing engineer and they go print it. Um, so you're, I think the first thing, you know, with that supply chain too, is making sure that we have really good training of our design engineers is they need to understand that entire process. What are all the different rules uh, of thumb that go into designing a part 
uh, using any one of these processes, whether it be laser powder bed fusion or direct energy deposition or some of the sol solid state metal AM techniques that are out there. Um, so having that set of design rules, then they need to understand it from a materials perspective too. We're not saying that our design engineers need to be materials engineers, but they need to understand that the properties are going to vary um, from process to process. So what are the requirements that I need? Am I going to meet those um, basic properties uh, of it? You know, and an example is like directed energy deposition. I might be able to build a part really, really fast, um, but I might be, I might have some enlarged grains uh, as, as part of that. I'm going to get a variation in my properties. So understanding that, that not all metal AM is the same, you know, I think is really a responsibility of, of all of us and our designers. So they need to understand the materials aspect, but then the post-processing aspect is really important. Again, I can go make a model and I can go build it, but oftentimes the success of a part in an application is gonna rely on that post-processing. Can I get the powder out? Can I confirm that I, I've gotten all the powder out of it? Um, what are the heat treatments that I perform on that part to make sure that I'm getting the optimal properties um, of that? You know, what interfaces do I have to machine or which ones do I have to polish? Can I access the areas that I want to polish? So all of that really rolls up and, and I think goes back to the, the fundamental uh, design portion of it. If I don't design for it early and if I'm not aware of all these downstream steps, then the part may not meet the requirements or I might see some performance impacts uh, when I put it into service. For sure. And I think the also neat thing about what you guys are doing, kind of being on the cutting edge and going through all of this rigor is you do put a lot of information out either through conferences or discussions like this one. And I've really uh, kind of liked the, what's it, the, is it the, standard 3716 like like that was mm -hmm. that, that you guys put out for kind of really going step by step detail by detail and if you're ever interested in kind of digging into the details of how you might qualify an approach to qualifying a part like i think that step by step process that you just outlined and thinking about all the different kind of islands of information that's coming in and steps in the process it's really insightful for any applying to any industry that's that's coming up not just aerospace but helping medical or think about it in medical terms or other industries right and I, and I think that's one of the advantages on the government side is we're we're funded by the taxpayers so we are able to provide this information um you know to industry and that's one of our roles too where uh, if it's NASA funded, you know, we can, we can share this data. It's non-proprietary and we do want to see industry take that and run with it. Uh, so these lessons learned, um, for us, you know, are important to provide in conference papers and journal articles and the different specifications, um, because there, I think there needs to be an independent organization like the government as well, and not necessarily a, uh, a company that, that helps develop those standards and can work across a lot of different industry partners and, and gather their inputs um, on that. So I think we do have a unique role in this. Uh, as a matter of fact, along that those lines, we are in the uh, probably about halfway through writing a book on metal additive manufacturing. 
Um, this would be published under uh, AIAA uh, nonprofit. And the objective is to put more or less what I described earlier in there and put a lot more context to it is from a design engineer's perspective, what do they need to know? Uh, how do you do the process selection? Why would I select powder bed fusion over DED or DED over cold spray or cold spray over ultrasonic or ultrasonic over, you know, there's so many of them out there and just trying to, to unwrap and simplify uh, some of that because we get these questions pretty regularly. Um, what are the processes that I can use? How do I design for it? What's the post-processing that I do? And I think we're so ingrained in this now and, and a lot of us that have been doing this that um, you know, sometimes you don't think about those fundamental steps and it's good to write that down and, and get it out there. And I've found that in writing a lot of this down and um, putting it into a book that somebody else can make use of, you certainly learn a lot more about it as well. And we've identified a few gaps that we need to, we need to go investigate and make sure that we have data that supports that. So again, I think that's, that's one of our roles. We're excited about that. There's a lot of people from industry involved in that, both academia, industry, we probably have 40 or 50 contributing authors to this. And again, it's to put together that volume of um, the practical side of, of additive manufacturing for propulsion uh, application, providing examples. Um, we have basically the, the end to end steps in there that we described earlier from the process to the post-processing, the materials, um, the feedstock, the powder and the wire side of it, uh, and then the certification uh, of that as well. So again, one of the roles that, that the government helps play in some of this, like you said, to get that information out there and publish when we can. And along those lines, I mean, you've described so many kind of different steps of the process. How do you and kind of the organization think about kind of training slash hiring or kind of building the team that's working in kind of relation to kind of these additive processes? Is it more focused on kind of we need someone that's has expertise in propulsion and then we can teach them the additive stuff or is it kind of the other way around where we need someone that knows additive and can apply it in different contexts? Is there kind of a, a strategy that you've seen over the last number of years that has kind of taken hold in terms of kind of training or kind of building the organization out around or related to additive manufacturing? Right. I, I don't think there's necessarily one skill set or discipline that we're looking for, because with additive manufacturing, you have so many different disciplines um, engaged in this. I think the the first thing is uh, people's excitement about the technology is, um, you know, in wanting to push things forward and interest uh, in developing new aspects of it or digging into some details that, that may be some gaps that we haven't understood um, before. And I think that's part of a lot of writing this down in the book is so that we can hand this to some of our uh, new engineers and say, okay, here's what we've learned. Um, you know, but please go add to this. Uh, and like I said, a lot of it is, is culturally based too, is we've learned that it's not as um, serial as maybe a design process was before that um, we may have to start with some limitations of the process uh, and find out that, um, you know, we, we have to uh, 
you know, the size limitations of large parts or the size uh, limitations of some of the smaller machines. What is the supply chain uh, that's out there um, on that? And, and bringing those, you know, lessons early uh, to the team on that, um, you know, but, but again, there's, there's different aspects from like materials engineers, right? We have materials engineers that are uh, coming up to speed on additive and there's different ways that we've had to look at materials uh, in terms of, well, now we look at the, the melt pool and the structure of that. And then you can go through all your heat treat uh, developments. Um, you know, so that, so I don't know if there's a, a particular skill set. I think you have to have all the skill sets involved in it. We have other research engineers that are really great at parameter uh, development. And that's a different skill set than what a design engineer uh, is going to have, or, um, you know, my, my role as a component, uh, engineer, um, you know, we're involved in, in all the different, uh, disciplines and trying to link together some of those disciplines, uh, for instance, for like, a if I'm leading the structures team on the design and the first question is, well, what are the properties, um, you know, of, of additive parts? And I think we don't have all the properties of these for designing for a, a new part. We have to go test those. So, um, you know, we, we have to start with something. So we might take a knockdown of some initial rot properties until we get the, the data that, that goes into that. So um, some of it we're, we're I don't want to say we're, we're, we're learning on the fly, but we're learning a lot of lessons as we go along and, um, you know, just, just try to... Um, capture those and like I said, put it into documentation. Um, I think just uh, trying to give some of our new folks an opportunity to dig in to, you know, and take on a, uh, a smaller task, you know, and it might be something like, okay, how do we do powder removal? Uh, well, here's how we've always done it and have some of these new folks come in and say, well, you know, have you thought about doing flash chemical milling or, you know, some of this post-processing techniques? Well, yeah, maybe we've thought about that. We haven't thought about it, but go develop a project and go do that because that's all important data to go collect um, on this. And I think there's all these detailed areas that still have a lot of research to be done. And of course, we work very closely with, with academia partners too on both the materials characterization side of things. Um, but we're also trying to train academia on you know, there, there might be some of the fundamental characterization, but then there's different ways that we do things in industry um, as well. I think one of the examples that we have found lately is when we're doing mechanical properties, um, you know, it's easy to do small samples in a lab furnace and quench them really quickly, do a water quench on it. But if you look at like the industrial side of things, we're using these large furnaces, you're usually using argon quench on things. So we're trying to also make sure that academia and industry is aligned in some areas for how we have an understanding of additive manufacturing. Um, you know, because there, there's another example like that too, where a lot of times you see some of the um, literature that's out there and they, may, they may, may not do a stress relief on it, where we often do stress reliefs on it. So it's all those, those details. I know that I got into a lot of, probably a little bit deeper in some areas, but you know, making sure that we, we pull all those details together and somehow capture them and then try to train our new engineers, no matter what discipline um, they are, you know, some of that, that overall process. So this may be a dumb question, but when 
is kind of the idea for a lot of the parts that you're producing and kind of getting the qualification for is kind of NASA Marshall going to be the prime manufacturer for those that go on the vehicles? Or then do you also partner with outside organizations to help kind of with supply or kind of building up quantities that you've determined a a pre-designed kind of here's the path and here's what we're expecting. Right. No, that's a great question. And we don't produce anything. We do the early development. We have uh, machines, uh, you know, at our disposal inside to do development on, but we don't produce anything. We don't compete with industry on that is we want to help enable industry. So a lot of our goals are to help set up the supply chain for this as well. And that might be new materials, processes that need to be advanced. Um, You know, so from like the powder supply chain, uh, an example of that is NASA has been heavily involved in trying to develop some of the new copper alloys for combustion chambers is uh, we need a high conductivity, high temperature material that's going to survive in, in our chambers and early phases of additive manufacturing, you know, the ink and L's were, were well developed. Um, and then some other materials came along and for a while. We didn't have capabilities for copper. So we took on the role of let's go develop the copper, the GRCOP uh, materials, which are a copper chrome niobium alloy for just for developed for combustion chambers was developed at NASA Glenn research center. Uh, back in the 80s. And uh, we did that initial development, uh, worked with some of the the, uh, powder suppliers on that. And since that early development in 2015 or so, uh, we've uh, seen it grow a lot. So there's a lot of suppliers out there now of the GRCOP. There's several powder vendors um, for the GRCOP. And I think that is just a um, you know, shows what we're trying to do with the infusion um, of this is we want to see industry take that and run with it um, because ultimately we can go purchase the parts for our missions from these commercial suppliers. Uh, and then beyond that, other government organizations and commercial industry can purchase those parts as well. So we don't make anything, um, you know, that we're, we're supplying that's all done through our prime contractors and our vendors. Um, but one of our roles is to help help do that early development to infuse that and enable that. And we're continuing to expand that new materials. There's another uh, hydrogen resistant material we're trying to develop and infuse that uh, out to industry. And then even some of the processes, too, as NASA has a lot of great research opportunities like our SBIR program um, where you can go in and do early stage development and show uh, feasibility of a concept and then, you know, possibly go to like a phase two SBR where you, where you can really dig in, really develop that. And we want to see uh, those type of successes because if we can be, if we can have a supply chain set up and we can be buying parts cheaper and commercial industry can be buying uh, parts cheaper, that we can be flying more regularly. And I think all of us benefit. Uh, from that. So I, that's another government role that I do see is helping to enable and supporting industry. And I imagine too, you've kind of, since you do a lot of that or all the development work, you also have an idea in mind of what the qualification of any supplier 
of parts back to NASA would or the government would would be like, right? And and that is from my experience and talking to some of the small manufacturers and medium manufacturers around the US is like that's something they're wrestling with is okay, we see the writing on the wall that added manufacturing is becoming more use, more commonplace. It's a big investment from a capital equipment, but also then the practices, the know-how, the standards, it's still, it's getting more, more black and white, but it's still probably more gray than, than black. Um, and so I imagine kind of helping fill that role too, and working closely with someone that's actually done it is, is helpful. Right. And, and it's not easy. It, it takes practice. Um, you know, I think somebody that's coming new in an additive manufacturing, um, you see all the success stories. You don't mm-hmm. see necessarily all the failures with it. So you think, oh, cool, I'm going to go design my part. I'm going to send it to this vendor. It's going to come back and it's going to meet all my uh, geometry that I needed and all my surface finishes and it's going to perform beautifully. And then you get that phone call from the vendor saying, hey, we failed the build because I had a recoder arm crash into the part and, you know, I have to rebuild it. Um, and, and that's one example. There's a thousand, you know, things out there that, that can go wrong with it. A lot of the time it can be just the design because we have a, a bad design and we need to go try the print of it to see if it's going to work. Um, so it takes iterations uh, to go do that. It takes practice to understand yes, I do need to do a stress relief and I do need to to perform these other heat treatments and, oh, I need to design ports in there to get powder um, out of it. And and it's going to take time for, you know, industry to understand that. We see new vendors that that have set up operations and they don't have that tribal knowledge and that experience. Um, So, and, and again, that's, I think one of our roles is to help train uh, in some of those areas, at least provide some of the documentation of here's what you should do and realizing that our certification, our standards, there's a lot of a lot of steps in there and a lot of involvement, but a lot of those steps have um, come out of failures that we've seen um, or, you know, lessons learned even from traditional manufacturing. And I think one thing that I've said before, which which surprises um, some people is don't use additive manufacturing unless you have to, unless you see significant advantages of it. It doesn't fit every design case. Um, If you can go machine a part um, and make that work, it's probably going to be cheaper to do that. So by no means are we saying that additive manufacturing is going to replace um, every manufacturing process out there. It's, It's another tool in our toolbox. And we've seen huge advantages from it in both the cost and uh, you know, the schedule side of it and performance side of it, but use it when it makes sense. So in our applications, we're using a lot of materials that are very difficult to machine traditionally, have a lot of internal features, a lot of complexity um, to them. So that's where we see the additive manufacturing has advantages uh, for us, but there's still a lot of parts that we machine um on that and i think that's another responsibility of the design engineer is to understand how to trade um for that and and you know don't just jump into it because it's the cool new uh terminology that's that's out there you know let let's do it wisely and make sure that 
yes, it's going to provide us a cost advantage and we can do it safely. Um, so understanding that trade uh, of it too, more the programmatics uh, side of it is, is I think very important as well. Absolutely. And kind of as we wind down kind of the podcast for, for kind of people that are exploring ad and manufacturing may kind of be in school or thinking about kind of shifts in some of their careers. Do you have kind of a piece of advice that you would kind of offer them? I think the having all the, the cool NASA videos and even the Mars Rover that has some additive manufactured parts in it. Like there's so many inspiring stories that you guys can tell about these big visions, but are there kind of practical things that you've learned over your career that could be helpful in kind of the next generation of, of people that might use the technology or, or think about careers in the space? Sure. I, I think, uh, a few words of advice there, you know, stay curious is there are so many areas in additive manufacturing that have yet to be researched, new materials and different processes. Um, so it's easy to find a niche in that and, and dig into that. Uh, and I think also taking on some of those difficult roles um, that there's areas that people may not want to research that um, because getting the funding and putting together the plan that goes with that. There's a lot of effort involved um, in that, you know, whether you're in academia or at a company. Um, but I think some of those early developments and, and uh, you know, curiosity of that is going to help continue to push additive manufacturing forward, you know, challenge some of the part designs. Um, of course, we, again, we want to do that safely, but there's, there's new things I think we can explore um, there uh, with that. So, finding those opportunities and, and sometimes they're not always obvious uh, where you find them. You know, I mentioned before that post-processing I think is really important. I think there's a lot of areas of post-processing that we have yet to, to understand and evolve. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities for newer engineers to, to research those areas and, you know, academia uh, engagement in that. And, it's ex exciting to see because there's more and more users of it. And I think it's definitely a common term now. 3D printing is not just a technical term or an engineer term anymore that most people know um, what that means, but really understanding the process um, of it, you know, all, all the detailed steps of it are, are my other words of advice um, on that. So don't just dive in um, without knowing you know, the, the detailed steps that, that you have to do to make a part successful. Awesome. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you can't talk about, but is there anything on the horizon in 2021 that you're excited to see come out of NASA, out of the, the Marshall Center there? Yes, yeah, so I, I think we're developing a lot of new materials um, and trying, again, to infuse those in industry. We're working some new processes uh, so we've been heavily engaged with the directed energy deposition process going very large scale. So now we're doing parts with um, integral features that are a meter and a half by two meters tall. And a few years ago, that was just unheard of um, for us. So that's something that I'm definitely excited about is seeing the scale grow. And then when I mentioned materials, uh, one of the aspects of it is we've been using a lot of these uh, I'll call them traditional AM materials, you know, the early materials that were developed, but they're not necessarily the best materials for our applications. So these hydrogen environments and highly dynamic and 
um, high heat flux environments. So a lot of these new materials are geared towards rocket engine type applications. So now we're making materials that we need for our applications, not just materials that are available. So those are a couple areas that I'm excited about. And, you know, certainly there's a lot of new technologies that are out there and uh, a lot of the design topology optimization and stuff. So I think over the next few years, it's really going to be exciting to see all this stuff start to come together. For sure. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining the show today. Really appreciate it. This is great stuff. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you.